Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, God, again, for this beautiful day. Help us now, Lord, to turn our attention to your word as we sit in creation, which is the effect of your word. That we know that in the beginning, God, you spoke and everything around us came into being. And we are grateful, God, that it is a gift to us and a reminder of the power and the effectiveness and the goodness of your word. We love you and we need you. And we give you thanks this day in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am fully aware that on days like this, when there are so many people um, getting baptized and we've been singing and just sitting out here and, um, and then looking how many people are sitting in the sun and not wanting me to go very long and many people, I'm just curious, how many people in the shade are cold right now? And how many people in the sun are hot? Just love it. Yeah, just like I feel like at halftime of the sermon, we should just switch sides and play the other. So like 45 minutes in, we'll just switch sides and it'll, it'll be great. Um, no, I'm very mindful of the situation. Don't worry. But I wanted to look at Psalm 19 this morning. And, and, and we've never actually done this. Worship in the park. Every year I think, well, I could preach about creation and what creation testifies to for us. And I always feel like, well, that's kind of trite. That's kind of cheesy. Like worship in the park. And we um, preach on creation. But this time, I don't know why, but I just felt like, man, that is, that's what we need to do is think about as we're sitting in creation, as you're feeling the heat of um, the sun or feeling the cool of, of the breeze and surrounded by trees and, and sitting here by the river, we are reminded of so many things and it's all crying out, testifying to God. Creation is a powerful testimony and we live in an area where by and large we really appreciate it. I often hear from people that nature is where they feel closest to God. Often I talk to people, they say, I feel most connected to God when, when I am in nature. It's, for many of us, it's where we feel relaxed, where we feel apart from the, the busyness of everyday life, whether it's in a deer stand or on a kayak or on a bike or sitting outside on a bench and looking at the bay. Nature rejuvenates us. It stirs us. It humbles us. But there's more for us here. It's not meant to be the end of that appreciation. It's not meant to just serve as this reminder of, oh, this is, this is beautiful. According to the Bible, and specifically here in Psalm 19, creation does not exist as something to be worshipped. It exists to testify to the existence and the power and the worth of its creator. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Except for these people over here. 
you are hidden. David looks around at nature, and what he says is, when I look around, all I can hear is the testimony to God. That's all I can hear. Because it was God's word that created all of this. Everything that we know, everything that we love, everything that we're fearful of in nature was spoken into existence with a simple word. And that's what's so amazing to me. God didn't labor day and night working, you know, working his fingers to the bone and getting to the end of the day exhausted. He just spoke. And it existed. That is how effective his word is. That's how powerful his word is. And what I want today is for us to be reminded that every time we go into nature, it is not only testifying to God's existence and his goodness and his intelligent design and his care, but it's also testifying to the power and the effectiveness of his spoken word that we get to see the effects of in nature, but that we get to actually read in the Bible. And so I just want to briefly look and declare how creation testifies to what God's word is, what it does, and how we respond. What it is, it is creation testifies that God's word is real and purposeful and desirable. If, if you have your Bibles, you can be in Psalm 19 or you can just listen that it is real. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is perfect, sure, right, pure. Seeing what God's word has brought in creation testifies to his word's power and trustworthiness. It's reality. As real as, as those trees are, so is God's word. As much as you can trust that the, the, the grass is here and that the ground is sure and that I can walk on it, nobody when you were walking forward to communion was worried that the ground was just going to fall out from underneath your feet. We're as confident in the reality of nature. We can be confident in the reality and the truth and the trustworthiness of God's word. Now, it doesn't, make, it doesn't mean that it's always going to make sense to you and me. Our understanding is not always perfect, which we talk about. It's not always sure and right and pure, but his word is. And one, just one simple point I want to make is our inability to understand Everything does not make it any less real. Right, think of all the scientific advancements that we've had. How much more we understand about nature now, and, and yet how much more we have yet to learn. And when we learn something new about how nature works or how a tree grows or about how something impacts the environment, when we learn something new, do we look at nature and say, well, nature's been lying to us. Nature's been holding back on us. No. We acknowledge, well, we obviously don't know everything. We obviously can't understand everything. There will never be a completion. No one who studies nature will ever get to a point where they'll say, oh, we're done. We learned it all. 
And yet our inability to understand everything about how that tree grows does not lead to us denying the existence of the tree or the reality that it's there. And so it is with God's word. So it is real and it is purposeful. You don't have to look very far to see the design of nature and how things fit together, work together, rely on each other. And it points to God's word, the intentionality of it. Think about this. Jesus often uses nature to illustrate truths about God. About how God works, about his character, about his nature. And it's not because it's just a fitting illustration. It's because that's what it was created for. You ever think about that? When Jesus, for example, wants to talk about why we shouldn't worry and why we should trust that God will take care of us, he points to the birds of the air. And he says, look at them. They, they have all they need to eat. And so therefore, don't worry about what you're going to eat. It's not Jesus sitting there and saying, huh, I got I to gotta convince them that God's going to take care of them. Let me look around and see. What do I, uh, what do I see? Oh, yeah, it's kind of like those birds. Look at it, like how they eat. It's kind of like that. No, it's Jesus looking around and saying, that bird was created so that you would understand how God takes care of you. That's completely different. We look for illustrations for things that like, oh, it's kind of like this. God creates and then thousands of years later says, oh yeah, this is why. Don't worry. You'll have plenty to eat. So it is intentional and purposeful, and it is desirable. Verse 10 says, More to be desired are they than gold, God's word, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Like I was thinking about this and, and how often God's word describes itself as desirable and sweet and beautiful and something to hunger after and thirst after, to, like a deer pants after water. So my soul hungers and thirsts for you and, and to, to desire God's word. And I thought about like how, how God manifests that through nature. Like, have you ever wondered why nature is fun? Like, have you ever thought, like, why does nature exist, like, with all these colors and textures and beauty? Like, why, why is it desirable? Why do we have a desire to go out and maybe go on the boat or go, or to go hunting or to go biking or to go sit in the sun? Like, why does that feel good? Why is it desirable? Now, I get it that not everybody is super outdoorsy, but who doesn't marvel at a sunset? Who doesn't get stirred by watching fawns jump around like in a, in a field or in your backyard? I do until I start picturing all the ticks falling off of them in my backyard, and then I, I stop being stirred by that. But other than that, like for a moment, I look at it, I'm like, oh, that is so incredible. It's so fun. Like how could God, how could anyone think that God's word would be boring or undesirable? How could we take the effects of what his word has produced and then look at his written word and think of it as stuffy and confining and dry? All the different textures and colors and movements. Think about like, um, like a sci-fi. I'm not a sci-fi guy. Well, that rhymes. I'm not. I'm not. But I, I, there's something I've noticed about sci-fi shows. If they want to present a different world that we don't know anything about... And they want to kind of 
tell you, get a feel for what the mood is of that planet or that land, what do they do? They affect the nature of that place. So if they want to communicate that that a planet is a joyful place, it is full of color and sounds, and it is lively. And if they want to communicate that this is a desolate place, that this is a hard place, then they're going to communicate it by the land being gray and dry and unfruitful and dark. See, nature is meant to stir us. And so is God's word. And when it doesn't, the problem is with us. Like if you've ever been with somebody who doesn't appreciate nature, have you ever been in a situation where you're like, oh, come here, we got to go, we got to go do this together. We got to go see this. And they just kind of look at it and they're like, meh. Like going to the ocean. I'm not going to out any of my, uh, any of the little beings at my house. We'll say it was one of my cats. Took one of my cats to the ocean and they just kind of looked at it and go, meh. Now, let me ask you something. Is the problem with the ocean or with their view of the ocean? The ocean is not any less the ocean. It is not any less magnificent. It doesn't harbor any fewer depths of life and truth and beauty underneath its surface than it did a second ago when a cat says, eh. But instead, it is as beautiful as it's ever been. The problem is whether we see it. The Grand Canyon doesn't take a day off. The woods never stop being the woods, full of life and color and sounds. And God's word is always more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey. And when we don't desire it, the problem lies not with it, but in our hearts. It doesn't need to be more exciting. It doesn't need to have the perfect reference or draw every parallel or connect every dot. It is worthy of just sitting in it and marinating it. Any more than you have to know everything about what is underneath the ocean's surface to appreciate its majesty and its beauty. 1 Corinthians 2 says, As it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This idea that all of creation here still doesn't even give us a hint doesn't even come close to giving us an idea of what God is preparing for us. That is mind-blowing. And it's mind-blowing that we would harden our hearts to that and think that the problem is with it and not with us. So that's what it is. But this time in verses 7 and 8, listen to what it does. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So it rejuvenates our hearts. When I want to be renewed spiritually, I do often go into nature because it's rejuvenating. I just spent last week, I just took an overnight and I went off in, into the woods and I, I biked and I hiked and I sat by Lake Superior. And the funny thing is, is I'm not a good biker and I don't hike for very long. And I would not know what to do if someone handed me a fishing pole and sat me at Lake Superior with a bunch of fish just like hanging out right there. 
but I can still be rejuvenated in it. Like, I don't have to be a master in it to be rejuvenated by it. It rejuvenates us. And if the effects of his word have that much power, how much more will his written and spoken word to me have? So just listen. When I feel like I am regressing to my old self, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if one is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When I feel like my weaknesses are too many and I can't do what God is calling me to do, 2 Corinthians 12 says, But he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When I am worn out and I feel like everywhere I turn, people are expecting things from me that I can't deliver and I can't keep up and I can't keep my head above water. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who labor heavy laden and I you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Or when I feel like I have fallen away from God and I wonder if he even knows me anymore or would receive me home. Romans 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So he rejuvenates us. And it makes us wise. He says it makes wise the simple. You think about most of the disciples were simple, uneducated, and common. If you've ever felt like, I don't know what, I, what use I could be to the kingdom because I'm simple and uneducated and common. Well, you match most of the disciples. God's word has incredible wisdom. And through it, we gain wisdom. And it's not arrogance. It doesn't produce arrogance in us. But when you see that the word of God is sure and trustworthy, it makes wise the simple. It is a treasure. And what the world tries to complicate and say, oh, this is only for certain people to understand and certain people to be able to grasp. And God says, no. I'll give you one example. Take the golden rule, which we preached through the Sermon on the Mount recently, and we talked about this. Matthew 7, 12, Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. What could be simpler than the golden rule? So childlike. And yet in our culture, there's all this talk about like emotional intelligence. Do you understand people? Do you get the complexities of how people are put together and wired? And it can feel so complicated trying to understand what do people actually mean by this? And, and what are they saying here? And how do I interact with people? And, and we just crave more like emotional intelligence. But let me ask you this. What could be simpler than the golden rule? And how wise is the person who trusts in it? If you did this day in and day out in every interaction, thought, how would I want someone to treat me if I was in that situation? And so that's how I'm going to treat them. If you did that every day, 
how relationally wise would you be? How emotionally intelligent would you seem as you day by day in every interaction did to others as you would want them to do for you? He makes wise the simple and enlightens our eyes. And finally, he reveals our sin through his word. Verse 11 says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them have, not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. This is often a place where we bristle. We like to be made wise. We like to be rejuvenated. We like to declare the glory of God, but we don't like to have our faults and our sins revealed and brought out into the light. We like it only in terms of, as we've talked about before, we like it when we can use it to point out other people's faults or problems with our culture, but we are slow to receive it ourselves. And we sometimes get offended at the mere suggestion that it may be revealing a problem in our hearts. But the Bible warns us, reveals our faults, and keeps me from destruction. And nature testifies to this. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever gone out fishing on Lake Superior? Okay, it can be pretty daunting. I remember I got taken out. If you guys remember Gary Johnson, he one time um, took me out um, on Lake Superior. And he wanted to watch the forecast for that. If you know, if you go out on Lake Superior, you need to know what the weather forecast is. You need to know how high the waves are. They are not to be trifled with. And anyone who knows Lake Superior knows this. And I could not imagine someone going out on Lake Superior and then being offended that the forecast predicted high winds and waves. Like, what do you mean high winds and waves? Why would you think I can't handle high winds and waves? That would be silly. It would be foolish to be offended by that warning. But then why would you be offended when God warns you of dangers in your path, of ways that will lead to destruction, of thought patterns that are harmful? If you go to a national park and they tell you, don't go near a bear, like don't hug a bear, are you offended? Who are you to tell me I can't hug a bear? You think I don't understand bears? Well, obviously not if you think you can hug a bear. And yet, we get offended when God warns us about things that we don't know and about sin that seeks to destroy us. Or are you offended when a doctor finds cancer? Or are you grateful? And if you are not offended by that, then why would you be offended when God's word probes and finds hidden sin in your heart? See, David points out two specifics here. He talks about hidden faults. And we often think we know what our big issues are. We think we're an expert in ourselves, in our own hearts, and we think we know, oh yeah, and we do. We know some of them. All of us could say, yeah, these are some struggles I have. Here are some sin battles we have. And yet what we don't realize is we only know like an iceberg, like the surface, but God's word reveals more. 
that we think we know what we need, but God's word reveals more. Much like nature shows us, we think we might understand something, but there's so much more going on under the surface. And much of God's power is on display in how his word cuts to what we do not know, what we didn't notice. In fact, I've found that most often the greatest work the word does in my life is not in the area that I think I need help in. It's when God's word pokes and reveals something that I didn't even realize was there. So I might look for guidance and help in making a decision about my life. And God reveals my lack of contentment and works on that. I might look for help, uh, something to help someone else. And yet what he does is he deepens my love and my understanding of them. I might look for evidence to prove my point of some truth that I believe, and yet he uses his word to confront my lack of wisdom and my desperate need for him. So God reveals the things that are hidden. But he also mentions presumptuous sins, flippant sins, things that we just think are normal, things that are so common, and we call those cultural sins, obvious, um, often we call them cultural sins because they're just sins that the culture just accepts so normally. And we've talked about this before, but if you go into another culture, to another country, you'll see things that you'll think that will that'll make you kind of bristle and you'll think, oh, how do you, how do, you do that? Why do you think that way? Why do, you, why do you think that's okay? And yet we have the same things when people from other cultures come and visit our culture. There are things that stand out to them and they seem normal to us. And David said that these are presumptuous sins. Like we just presume we're fine. We presume this is normal. And it's so common. We think it's no big deal, but God's word confronts that. So we live in a culture where we think it's understandable and acceptable to despise my enemies. And yet God's word says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Or we say, oh, gossip and slander isn't that big of a deal. But James 4.11 says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Or we we make peace with consumerism. And we believe that consumerism and the American dream can fit in with following Jesus and we can combine them. But Matthew 6 says, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So all these things that seem normal and seem natural and seem like not that big of a deal, God's word confronts that. And if we'll receive it, then we'll understand and gain wisdom in that. And why does he call these things out in us? It's not to shame us or to scare us, but to warn us, to lead us into repentance. God's word is not God saying these things with a wagging finger, but as a father who wants his child to find life. It cuts to the heart revealing the cancer of sin in us that threatens to destroy. And in his kindness, he leads us to repentance. It's meant to turn us to the God who gives us a new heart and new eyes and new minds. 
It's the testimony of his word that assures us that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he redeems us, that he renews us, that he adopts us, and that he makes us heirs of his kingdom. And that he is faithful, as Philippians 1 says, faithful to complete the good work that he began in us. And so that's my hope for us today. As we sit here in the beauty of nature on this incredible day, that we would be reminded that these things don't just exist by accident, but that God spoke them into existence intentionally for today, that it is a gift that it is meant to stir us and rejuvenate us and humble us, to remind us of the bigness of God and the smallness of us, to remind us that he is good and creative and intentional, to testify to his glory so that we would seek to know him and that we would understand that as we see what his word spoken has done around us, that we get to see in his word what it can do in us. And that we would approach his word, desiring it, to have our hearts stirred, to gain understanding, to find life, to abide in him. So let creation stir you in this way. Let it take you to the beauty of his word in the Bible to find the abundant life that he offers. As David says at the end of Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we sit in your creation, we are reminded of your goodness and your power. And Lord, we know that when we don't let the rocks cry out and the trees cry out and the birds sing to testify to you. When we just, when we just settle for uh, worshiping your creation, that we know we are missing out because all of this is declaring your glory. So Lord, let it stir our hearts to worship you. And then Lord, let us be reminded that we don't just have to infer things from nature about you, that you have actually spoken to us through your word. And Lord, protect us from, from turning your word into some kind of philosophy or moral teaching, but let us realize that it is your spoken word meant to reveal who you are and how we can know you and find abundant life in you. Lord, we thank you that you are patient with us. As we know day to day, we struggle at times with this. But Lord, let us never settle. Let us keep pressing in. Let us keep observing and hearing all of the testimonies of your glory and your power and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.